continuing our sermon series on spiritual warfare this morning. And just to remind me that the devil is real. We had a bird fly through the sanctuary in the middle of my sermon at the 9 o'clock service. So you never know. You never know what's going to happen. Um, spiritual warfare uh, probably seems like a somewhat abstract concept to most of us, and I know even for myself as someone who is preaching on it this morning and helped get this series ready several weeks ago, uh, if I'm honest, it often, it doesn't feel like something that's real. Uh, even, even though I've got a category for it in my head, I know that the Bible talks about it. It just doesn't feel like spiritual warfare is the thing that's really happening. Um, my parents used to like to tell this story about me. The first time I ever played soccer, I was probably five or six years old. And apparently, I just stood in the same spot uh, for the entire game. And I looked up at the lights, and I kind of waved my hands around in front of my face for an hour, looking at the shapes that I, and lights that I, could, that I could make with my hands. And when it was over, I said, did we win? Um, we did not win. Um, Worse than that, I was in the backfield, meaning I'm standing pretty close to the goal, and the ball actually had to go past me every time the other team um, scored all the goals. Um, The reason I didn't know the outcome of the game, it wasn't because the game wasn't real, and it wasn't even because I wasn't a participant in the game, Uh, but it was because I I was paying attention to other things. I was looking at other things. So as we continue this series... I want to remind you, but I really also, I want to remind myself uh, that spiritual warfare is real. It's real. Uh, The very first promise in the Bible in Genesis 3.15 is not so much about the benefits uh, that we receive in salvation, but it is that the seed of the woman is going to come and crush the head of the serpent. And what we learn is that all of history is a spiritual war. And we come to the New Testament, we find that it's full of this battle uh, language. Paul says that we are more than conquerors if we are in Christ. He tells Timothy that he is to wage the good warfare in his ministry, and he calls all Christians soldiers. Uh, the most quoted Old Testament passage in the New Testament comes from Psalm 110, where we learn that the Messiah's enemies will be made his footstool. And it's more, it's more than just imagery. And if you are united to this Messiah, if you are united to Jesus, well, then your participation is inescapable. Uh, It's your union with Christ that assures you of your participation in the victory, uh, but it's also, it's also the thing that draws you into the battle itself. So I want us to keep that in mind uh, for the next several weeks, but especially this morning as we read again from Ephesians 6. Uh, we're going to be focusing on just verse 16, but I'm going to read that, that whole passage again, uh, starting back in uh, verse 10. So let's give our attention uh, to God's Word. This is Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 16. Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle 
against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. God, we thank you for the privilege of worshiping you and especially of hearing from you. And so we pray now uh, that you would speak to us uh, through your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Yesterday, uh, my family and I went to uh, the lake and we got to enjoy the weather and enjoy watching our kids um, ride in a tube in the back. Uh, but the first thing we did, uh, the first thing we did when we got on the boat was we all put on uh, sunscreen. I'm told that some people don't really have to worry so much about sunscreen. But in our family, uh, people get burned. <laughs> and so it's something that we have to watch out for. Uh, actually, just, just a week ago or so, um, Nana... That's my mom, our kid's grandmother. She was trying to describe something as pale, and the words that came to mind were, it was as white as John's back. We've been laughing about that all week. So, um, When we get in the sun, uh, disciples, disciples need to have protection. Uh, the past several weeks, we have looked at uh, the belt and the breastplate and the shoes and these pieces of armor that Paul talks about, they're not arbitrary. They, they tell us something about the nature of the battle that we're in and about what's going to be uh, required of us. And so as we look at the shield of faith this morning, the obvious implication is that we need uh, protection. Not just for safety, but to remain useful and to remain engaged in the battle, we need protection. What we see here is actually faith itself is our protection against the enemy's attacks. So as we look at this protection, there's, there's two things, two things I want us to consider. First is the nature of those attacks. And then the second thing is, well, how exactly is uh, faith a shield? How does it provide uh, this kind of protection? So first, Uh, The nature of those attacks, you see at the end of verse 16 here that the attacks come from the evil one. Uh, This is a reference to the devil, already mentioned in verse 11 of the passage. He's also called Satan, which means the adversary. Um, Earlier in this same letter to the Ephesians, Paul calls him the prince of the power of the air. In other places, he's The dragon and the ancient serpent, the deceiver of the whole world, the accuser of our brothers. Jesus calls him a murderer from the beginning, a liar and the father of lies. And Peter says that he is like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. All these names, all these descriptions make it clear that Satan is not only real, but he is a formidable enemy. And these attacks, these darts that Paul is talking about, they come from him. Evil is not just some abstract idea or negative force in the world. It comes from God's 
enemy. Now, he hates God, and he hates others who love God, and his attacks are not just circumstantial. They are personal. When Jesus uh, was tempted in the wilderness, it wasn't by negativity, but it was by the devil. And Jesus died on the cross not just to put an end uh, to bad vibes, but to crush the head of that ancient serpent. And that means you and I have to reckon with the fact that we have a great enemy, and he is powerful, he is cruel, and he's diligent. He wants you to falter. He wants you to run away from God. And he wants you to forsake your salvation. When Paul calls these attacks flaming darts, uh, his point is not that they are hot or that they come from the air, but that the devil's attacks are serious and they are continuous. In the sermon last week, uh, Wes spoke about several different ways that the devil uh, comes after us. So I won't, I won't rehash all of those, but I do think we should notice, notice that if our protection from these attacks is faith, in other words, if the protection is about trusting and believing, well, that, that tells us something about the kind of attacks uh, that we can expect. Spiritual warfare is not primarily about looking for demons around every corner. Uh, it is a battle for your thoughts and for your beliefs. That means doubts and deceit and despair, they are going to be at the core of the devil's schemes against you. I know that I have had what I could really only call uh, thoughts that are evil. I would be, I would be embarrassed um, to speak them out loud. And certainly, sometimes those things, they come from me. They come from my own sin. And Satan would love for me to indulge uh, those thoughts. He would love for me to believe that I can think evil things and it's just no big deal because nobody else heard it. Uh, because it didn't really hurt anyone. But sometimes these thoughts, they just feel like they come from the outside. Like I don't, I don't really know uh, where they came from. And so we shouldn't discount the fact that Satan wants to attack us in our thoughts and that he uses them against us. Consider your own difficulty with prayer. How you've never felt more distracted than that one time you finally decided, I'm really going to get up and set aside some time to pray. Satan does not want you to pray. He wants to confuse us. Uh, he wants us to believe lies both about who he is and about who God is. He wants us to believe that God is not really good that his law is not good, that his grace is not enough, that he doesn't really care about you. And even if we were good, he obviously is not in control or able to do anything about your situation. Satan wants you to question everything. And there's a place for questions. The God of truth loves your questions. 
But as Chesterton said, the, the point the point of an open mind is like an open mouth. It's meant to close down on something. Uncertainty, well, well, that's just part of being human, but there's a kind of antagonistic distrust of God and his promises that really places him under your evaluation so that you get to say, well, did God really say? These are the fiery darts of the evil one. So that's just a, a little glimpse at the nature of these attacks. Well, how does, how does the shield of faith really work? How is it that it gives us this kind of, kind of protection? Uh, God himself is described as a shield in several places in the Old Testament. Proverbs 30 says he is a shield to those who take refuge in him. And here, uh, shield of faith means or, or could really be translated the shield which is faith. Uh, Paul's point here is that faith is the thing that provides the protection. Um, in, in 1 Peter 5, that's that same passage that talks about the devil being like a roaring lion. He also tells us that you are to resist him firm in your faith. In other words, faith itself is a means of resistance against the devil's attacks. And Paul says, if this is going to be effective this is going to be effective. It's going to have to be taken up, he says, in all circumstances. And so faith here, Paul's not, Paul's not talking about the moment of conversion or the hour you first believed. He's talking about ongoing believing that is necessary for life as a Christian. We must continually believe. You can just imagine what it would be like uh, to have a shield Uh, but then not to use it or to have a shield and to forget it or to have a shield uh, but not actually uh, pick it up or even to point it in the wrong direction. Paul says if we are going to have the protection that faith promises, our faith must be engaged and cultivated. Faith is a thing that grows as it's exercised. Trust begets more trust, and we learn to believe more and more as we observe and experience God's promises and his word actually being true. Now, the Old Testament um, is replete with these calls for Israel to remember, remember who God is and remember what he's done. And so many of their problems can be tied uh, to their forgetting. Well, we practice faith We practice it by uh, remembering. But of course, you have to have memories if you're going to remember. And so we need to fill ourselves with the promises of God so that we might believe them when the darts come. And you might ask, well, what what if I don't have faith? Or what if my faith is is weak? What if I don't have enough faith? Some of you remember uh, the George Michael song in the late 80s called Faith. The chorus is, you gotta have faith. Covered by Limp Biscuit later. B-I-Z-K-I-T. For those of you taking notes. Both songs were bad, but the cover was worse. Um, but the song is it's really about, 
It's about a guy who's mustering up the courage to break up with his girlfriend and trying to convince himself that there's going to be someone else. He'll be able to find someone new. You just got to have faith, George. It's not a very good song, but it does capture what I think is a popular understanding or popular use of that word, faith. That it's basically just a synonym uh, for belief in yourself. Or kind of, kind of just a blind optimism that everything's going to work out. You just have to insist on it and keep repeating it to yourself. But what the Bible says is that faith is not blind. Faith comes by hearing. It comes by hearing. And so that includes your own time in the Scriptures, but especially, especially the preaching of the scriptures. Paul says that preaching is God's foolish method to bring his promises to your heart. And there's so many things. I mean, this is, this is uh, not a short book. There's so many things in the Bible uh, that we are to know and to cling to, and specific darts can be countered by specific promises. But ultimately, ultimately, at the end of the day, the object of our faith is simple. Faith has already come up six or seven times uh, in the letter to the Ephesians by the time you get to chapter 6. And it's very clear that what Paul has in view is faith in Jesus Christ. He is the embodiment of all of God's promises, the visible proof that God will always make good on his word. You see, faith, our faith is only as effective as its object. And the faith that provides real protection is faith that believes in who Christ is and what Christ has done and what God says about him in his word. This is the only faith that shields us. Not faith in yourself, not faith in faith, only faith in Jesus Christ. And so you, uh, if you feel like your faith is waning... If you feel like your faith is weak, if Satan is trying to convince you that you just don't have enough faith, you can trust in the one who has already stood down the devil in the wilderness. If Satan is beginning to convince you that maybe your health is the most important thing that could ever exist, you can put your hope in one who was willing to die for his love of the Father and his love for the people and by his resurrection has put to shame the principalities and powers. You can put your hope in one who has already been tempted and knows what it is like to face these darts. Uh, John Owen, uh, 17th century uh, Puritan, wrote uh, a little book, but it's a heavy book, Uh, called the mortification of sin. Mortification is an old, clunky word for killing sin. And that's what the book is about. Uh, That's why it's so heavy. Um, In the first 13 chapters, Owen gives um, long lists of all these different things we need to do to be able to think about how to kill our sin. And then in the very last chapter, with less than 10 pages left in the book, Owen says, all this is preparatory to the work itself. Then he makes it very plain that the real work, the only 
work there is to engage in the battle for your soul is to set your faith on Jesus Christ. The devil's darts will come. They always come. But Psalm 20, Psalm 20 says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. And Paul here says that if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you can extinguish all of those darts. I'll finish uh, with a quote from Martin Luther. Luther wrote and sang both a lot about the devil. Uh, he really hated. He really hated the devil. Actually, when he was putting together um, his will, someone asked him, "Well, how, how are we going to know this is from you? How can you sort of, you know, prove that this is really your will?" And he says, "I am known in all the earth. I am known in heaven, and I am known in hell." I don't know if it's true, but Luther believed that even the devil was afraid of him. He wanted to be known in hell. Um, but anyway, let's, let's listen to this quote. This is about how to think about Satan's attacks. Luther says, So when the devil throws your sins in your face and declares that you deserve death and hell, tell him this. I admit that I deserve death and hell. What of it? Does this mean that I shall be sentenced to eternal damnation? By no means, for I know one who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, Son of God, and where he is, I shall be also. Let's pray. God, we thank you for such a great Savior and the perfect protection that is given for us in Jesus. We ask now that you would grant us faith that you would grow our faith, that you would enable us more and more to fix our eyes uh, on Jesus and not the things of this world. We pray this in his name. Amen.